0: Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 220, Oration for Lincoln. This is the third and final episode this month, dealing with Frederick Douglass. Now, Edgar Allan Poe was born on January the 19th, 1809. Abraham Lincoln was born less than a month later, the same year. While there is no historical record that uh, they ever met, we do know uh, that Abraham Lincoln enjoyed reading Poe. Now, uh, what do Edgar Allan Poe or even Abraham Lincoln have to do with Frederick Douglass? Well, as far as we know, Edgar Allan Poe and Frederick Douglass may have both lived in Baltimore, Uh, but there is really no record of them coming in contact uh, however, Frederick Douglass did know Abraham Lincoln. The first documented meeting between Douglass and Lincoln took place on August the 10th, 1863 at the White House. By this time, Frederick Douglass had become famous as a prominent abolitionist and a vocal advocate for the rights of African Americans, and Lincoln sought to engage him Uh, to uh, discuss the uh, the issues of the day, including uh, the recruitment of African-American soldiers during the Civil War. Their meetings continued over the years, and although they definitely had differences on certain issues, Frederick Douglass recognized Lincoln's role in the fight against slavery. Frederick Douglass was even asked to deliver an oration in memory of Abraham Lincoln on April the 14th, 1876, in Washington, D.C. What follows in this podcast is from Douglas's oration. And, um, uh, well, I believe uh, before I begin reading from the oration, I better say that Douglas's eloquence might be hard-going for us today living in a culture where we often have short attention spans, uh, but please do stick with the oration uh, and its composition and imagining that you're listening to the eloquence of Frederick Douglass. Friends and fellow citizens, we stand today at the National Center to perform something like a national act, an act which is to go into history, and uh, we are here where every pulsation of the national heart can be heard, felt, and reciprocated. A thousand wires fed with thought and winged with lightning put us in instantaneous communication with the loyal and true men all over the country. Few facts could better illustrate the vast and wonderful change which has taken place in our condition as a people than the fact of our assembling here for the purpose we have today. Harmless, beautiful, proper, and praiseworthy as this demonstration is, I cannot forget that no such demonstration would have been tolerated here just 20 years ago. The spirit of slavery and barbarism, which still lingers to blight and destroy in some dark and distant parts of our country, would have made our assembling here the signal and excuse for opening upon us all the floodgates of wrath and violence. That we are here in peace today is a compliment and a credit to American civilization— and a prophecy of still greater national enlightenment and progress in the future. I refer not to the past in in malice, for this is no day for malice, but simply to place more distinctly in front the gratifying and glorious change which has come both to our white fellow citizens and ourselves, and to congratulate all upon the contrast between now and then. The new dispensation of freedom with its thousand, thousand blessings to both races, and the old dispensation of slavery with its ten thousand evils to both races, white and black. In view then of the past, the present, and the future, with the long and dark history of our bondage behind us, and with liberty, progress, and enlightenment before us, I again congratulate you upon this auspicious day and hour. We fully comprehend the relation of Abraham Lincoln, both to ourselves and to the white people of the United States. Truth is, yes, a truth is proper and beautiful at all times and in all places. And it is never more proper and beautiful in any case than when speaking of a great public man whose example is likely to be commended for honor and imitation long after his departure to the solemn shades, the silent continents of eternity. It must be admitted, truth compels me to admit, even here, in the presence of the monument we have erected to his memory— Abraham Lincoln was not, in the fullest sense of the word, either our man or our model. In his interests, in his associations, in his habits of thought, and in his prejudices, he, he was a white man. He, he was uh, predominantly the white man's president, entirely devoted to the welfare of white men. He was ready and willing at any time during the first years of his administration to deny, postpone, and sacrifice the rights of humanity to the colored, and the colored people to promote the welfare of the white people of this country. In all his education and feeling, he, he was an American of the Americans. He came into the presidential chair upon one principle alone, namely, opposition to the extension of slavery. His arguments in furtherance of this policy had their motive and mainspring in his patriotic devotion to the interests of his own race. To protect, defend, and perpetuate slavery in the states where it existed, Abraham Lincoln was not less ready than any other president to draw the sword of the nation he was ready to execute all the supposed guarantees of the United States Constitution in favor of the slave system anywhere inside the slave states. He was willing to pursue, recapture, and send back a fugitive slave to his master and to suppress a slave rising for liberty, though his guilty master master were ah, already in arms against the government. The race to which we belong were not the special objects of his consideration. Knowing this, I concede to you, my white fellow citizens, a preeminence in the worship at once full and supreme. First, most and last, you and yours were the objects of his deepest, deepest affection and his most earnest solicitude. You are the children of Abraham Lincoln. We are, at best, only his stepchildren, children by adoption, children by forces of circumstances and necessity. To put it especially, belongs to sound his praises, to preserve and perpetuate his memory, to multiply his statutes, to hang his pictures high up on your walls, and commend his example. For to you, he was a great and glorious friend and benefactor. Instead of supplanting you at his altar, we would exhort you to build high his monuments. Let them be of the most costly material, of the most cunning workmanship. Let their forms be symmetrical, beautiful, and perfect. Let their bases be upon solid rocks, and their summits lean against the unchanging blue, overhanging sky and let them endure forever. But while in the abundance of your wealth, and in the fullness of your just and patriotic devotion, you do all this, we entreat you to despise not the humble offering we this day unveil to view. For while Abraham Lincoln saved you for a country, he delivered us from a bondage. According to Jefferson, one hour of which was worse than the ages of oppression your fathers rose in rebellion to oppose. Fellow citizens, ours is no newborn zeal and devotion, merely a a thing of this moment. The name of Abraham Lincoln was near and dear to our hearts in the darkest and most perilous hours of the republic. Despite the mist and haze that surrounded him, despite the tumult, the hurry, and the confusion of the hour, we were able to take a comprehensive view of Abraham Lincoln and to make reasonable allowance for the circumstances of his position. We saw him, measured him, and estimated him, and in view of that divinity which shapes our ends, we came to the conclusion that the hour and the man of our redemption had somehow met in the person of Abraham Lincoln. It mattered little to us what language he might employ on special occasions. It mattered little to us when we full knew him, whether he was swift or slow in his movements. It was enough for us that Abraham Lincoln was at the head of a great movement and was in living an earnest sympathy with that movement which, in the nature of things, must go on until slavery should be utterly and forever abolished in the United States. Can any man friendly to the freedom of all men ever forget the right which followed the first day of January 1863, when the world was to see if Abraham Lincoln would prove to be as good as his word? I shall never forget that memorable night memorable night when in, a, in a, a distant city I waited and watched at a public meeting with 3,000 others not less anxious than myself for the word of deliverance which we have heard read today. Nor shall I ever forget the outburst of joy and thanksgiving that rent the air when the lightning brought to us the Emancipation Proclamation. In that happy hour of the Emancipation Proclamation, we forgot all delay and forgot all tardiness, forgot that the president had bribed the rebels to lay down their arms by a promise to withhold the bolt which would smite the slave system with destruction. And we were thenceforth willing to allow the president all the latitude of time, phraseology, and every honorable device that statesmanship might require for the, the achievement of a great and beneficent measure of liberty and progress. Born and reared among the lowly, a stranger to wealth and luxury, compelled to grapple single-handed with the, with the uh, flintest hardships of life, from tender youth to sturdy manhood, Abraham Lincoln grew strong in the manly and heroic qualities demanded by the great mission to which he was called by the votes of his countrymen. The hard condition of his early life, which would have depressed and broken down weaker men, only gave greater life, vigor, and buoyancy to the heroic spirit of Abraham Lincoln. He was ready for any kind and any quality of work, what other young men dreaded in the shape while other young men dreaded in the shape of toil he took hold of with the utmost cheerfulness all day long he could split heavy rails in the woods and half the night long he could he studied his his english grammar by the uncertain flare and glare of the light made by a pine knot He was at home on the land with his axe, with his maul, with gluts, and his wedges, and he was equally at home on water, with his oars, with his poles, with his planks, and with his boot hooks. And, whether in his flat boat on the Mississippi River or at the fireside of his frontier cabin, he was a man of work, a son of toil himself, he was linked in brotherly sympathy with the sons of toil in every loyal part of the republic this very fact gave him tremendous power with the american people and, materi- and materially contributed not only to selecting him as president selecting him to the presidency but in sustaining the administration of the government Upon his inauguration as President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln was met by a tremendous crisis. He was called upon not merely to administer the government, but to decide, in the face of terrible odds, the fate of the Republic. Fellow citizens, I end as I began with congratulations. We have done a great work for our race today. In doing honor to the memory of our friend and liberator, we have been doing highest honors to ourselves and those who come after us. We have been fastening ourselves to a name and fame imperishable and immortal. We have also been defending ourselves from a blightening scandal. When now it shall be said that the colored man is soulless, that he has no appreciation of benefits or benefactors, when the foul reproach of ingratitude is hurled at us, and it is attempted to scourge us beyond the range of human brotherhood, we may calmly point to the monument we have this day erected to the memory of Abraham Lincoln." Join Celebrate Poe for our episode 221, Rescue Missions. This would be the first of a three-part series about Harriet Tubman. Sources include Frederick Douglass, an oration uh, in memory of Abraham Lincoln uh, in Black Orators and Their Orations, edited by Carter Godwin Hodson and Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.